0: Pop. Welcome to Switched On Pop. I'm songwriter Charlie Harding.
1: And I'm Amelia Meath, one half of the band Sylvanesso.
0: Amelia, we first got to know each other when you and Nick Sanborn, the other half of Sylvanesso, were on the show last winter. Yeah.
1: We were in LA to write songs with people and escape the cold in North Carolina. And we were supposed to be going to the Grammys.
0: Yeah, you were nominated for a Grammy for your last record, Free Love. But the Grammys ended up being postponed because of the Omicron wave.
1: Yep. And then we just stayed in our little rental house and this kind of magical thing happened. We made a whole record in like six weeks.
0: You called it No Rules Sandy. What does that mean?
1: Oh, Sandy is my nickname for Nick. And No Rules Sandy kind of encapsulates the wild and free way we made the record
0: no rules yeah it's kind of experimental i mean you're known for mixing electronic music pop americana even but this new album it's got genre mashups awesome lo-fi textures that i really love tons of bleeps and bloops voicemail interludes and some really unconventional vocal arrangements
1: yeah it's a bit out there and it all happened so quickly that we decided to put it out quickly right so we didn't do the typical album rollout where we, like, put out three singles beforehand or do it, like, announce a tour. We just kind of released it spontaneously in the same way it was
0: made. Is there a song on the album that you feel like encapsulates the idea of No Rules Sandy?
1: I feel like there's so many. But No Rules Sandy is a backup line that I wrote for a song called Your Reality, where Nick and I both hear the one at a different point in the song. two. Three, one, four, two, one, two. two. One, two. So we count it differently, and we decided instead of making a compromise, we were just going to keep each other's count in so like Nick was writing the like composing from a different perspective than I was singing from, but we just kept writing the song together, and because of that, I put in as kind of a joke.
2: Baby, no
3: rules no rules, baby no, rules. Sandy, no rules no rules no
1: rules Sandy no rules I said no rules Sandy, which is me just telling Nick that there's no rules. And I decided that just to put that in there and then when we played it for our friends, they were like, that's the name of the record.
0: So this song has this sort of joke line no rules Sandy. It becomes the title of the album. And it has almost internal to it a whole philosophy, which is how you put the record out, kind of with no rules.
1: Exactly. We just decided to go where the joy is. And the joy for this one was just giving
0: it away as soon as we possibly could. So why did you want to reach out to Switched On Pop?
1: Oh, I wanted to talk to you guys again, mostly because... Our conversation last time was so fun. Oh, thank you. And also, oddly, because we were talking to you, like, in the midst of making the record, so in some Mm. ways, like, because we wrote all the music for it in, like, almost three weeks, our talking to you is, like, kind of at the center of it, oddly. And so, also, I just really like talking to you about music.
0: Thank you, Amelia. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: I feel the same. And I really love this record.
2: Thank you. I do, too.
0: Over the last couple of months, we've been talking, and the conversation has sort of shifted from just talking about No Rule Sandy to like a bigger inquiry, I feel like, that you've been on. Maybe a quest, a journey, if you will.
1: Indeed. This is Sylvanesso's fourth record. And there's a roadmap for the first three. You know, the first one, you're like, hey, it's me. And the second one, you're like, no, it's really me. And I'm good at this. (laughs) And then the third one, you're like, "Never mind, guys. It's me, still, you know, chill, chill guy. (laughs) And then putting out the fourth one, particularly in like the strange and exciting and uh, alternative way that we did, made me start thinking about how strange it is that when you put music out like you're essentially like putting out little collections of your work usually once every three years Mm -hmm. and you're constantly having to announce that you've made something new and that it is the best thing that you've ever made Mm -hmm. and it's totally different Mm -hmm. and it's all really just trying just like basically begging people to just listen to it please because everything's in there like just listen to the (laughs) gd record please yeah And it got me thinking that what I really wanted to know was what it felt like to other people to release records. Yeah. Like, what they f- are feeling behind the scenes. Hmm. And since this album release was unconventional and fast, I thought maybe I could do something different this time. Instead of talking about the record itself, we could produce a podcast with you about that question together.
0: What it means to release records. What are you hoping to find?
1: Usually the thing that I'm searching for is community and understanding other people's experiences of something that is similar to the thing that I do. Mm-hmm. It's also a very intimate thing to talk about. It's not just talking about like someone's creative output, but it's talking about their emotional reaction to their output being received mm-hmm. and perceived. I want to learn how people deal with that and what it feels like to them, and also uh, if they like it.
0: So who's the first person that you want to speak with?
1: Let's talk to Katie Gavin from MUNA.
0: MUNA is... The coolest
1: gayest band ever. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me about them. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Muna is Katie Gavin, Josette Maskin, and Naomi McPherson. And they've been making music together since, like, 2013 to underground acclaim. But over the pandy, they got dropped by their major label. Mm. They released a self-titled record, and it's kind of like a rebirth of Muna. Mm. And they're queer. They have this incredible queer anthem on it called Silk Chiffon, yeah. which features Phoebe Bridgers, mm-hmm. who also runs their new label. Like silk Chiffon. And it went like viral on the talk and also just reached a much wider audience than they had before. I just wanted to speak to them. And also like me and Katie have been friends on the Internet for years and we've never gotten to talk. So I'm excited to meet her, even if it's not IRL. Totally.
2: Hi. Hi. It's nice to meet you. (laughs) It's nice to meet you. How are you? I can't believe we haven't met in person after all this time. I know.
1: (laughs) When you're writing songs, when does the record making process begin for you?
2: Such a good question. I've been a songwriter since I was a small child. Like, this is always something that I've done. And it's always been, thank God, like a healthy coping mechanism for me. And I think maybe because of that, I've always kind of seen songs as like, I just use them to process whatever I'm going through and records are almost like an arbitrary, Mm. there's a certain slice of time Mm. that groups these songs together.
1: How is the press campaign for self-titled?
2: This is one of the only conversations I've ever had about Muna that isn't with the other two. We do like almost all of our press, the three of us. And I think there's something about that, that it's like it allows it to be a little bit of a conversation.
1: I find that in this industry and particularly in doing press cycles, the the true incredible intimacy of having collaborators, yeah, that are reflecting back, adding to feeling and also like reshaping through their words mm-hmm. it it gives like breathes life and body into into things in a in a completely different way,
2: yeah, I was gonna say, and the fact that you are giving birth to this thing at the same time like it's just so wonderful to have somebody else who's in the experience and is like you know you can check in with being like are you like at the end of your rope right now like are you scared out of your mind right now like you know you just to have somebody else who's going through it with you is really wonderful
1: yeah experiencing things together it's just the freaking best it's so much better than being alone
2: There was, like, a lot of days where we would do four or five interviews, like, in a row. What was annoying me, in a way, was the way that you have to put your album in a box so that people can write about it in a digestible way, I guess. Mm. You can use a lot of Muna songs to put on, like, when you're working out. Or when you're getting ready for mm. a date or something and just enjoy the fact that they're bangers and the production is good. Or you can use a lot of Muna songs to actually process things that have happened in your life and have moments of reflection. It's It's like whatever, it's choose your own adventure, right?
1: For me, I don't think I like have fully released a record until I've like sung it for like a year and a half afterwards. Yeah,
2: yeah and it's really funny too because you have to do <laughs> a ton of press where you're talking about what the album means way before that point in time. Yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. And I've always been in terms of like doing PR. Like I definitely have been of the belief that I would rather come up with what the box is than have somebody else come up with what the box is. Like if we say queer joy, they're going to say queer joy, you yeah. know? <laughs> They'll just repeat <laughs> yes. it. So you do have a lot of power, like, in that, in that way. <laughs> really? Like, haven't you found that? Like, you can just decide and people will just oh, yeah. run with it. it oh, she's on me. I think one of the things that, like, being, being out from the jump I think it's kind of protected us. Like sometimes you wonder if it limited your audience, but I do feel like we've been so incredibly lucky to have not had to deal with really people relating to us as sex objects. There's just always been this feeling of like, I feel like my fans like relate to me more as a friend or like a sister or these days a a mom. And and sometimes they do call me a MILF, which I'm flattered by, but I I love MILF, but it's just like, I feel really safe with the people Mm -hmm. who listen to our music. And like, that is completely a gift. Is there anything else
1: about the nature of presenting yourself to the world through your songs that you'd like to say?
2: I think releasing music for me has always been a roller coaster. It's like it's an up and down battle that affects you Mm -hmm. because at the end of the day, there's nothing that really changes the fact that this is the same thing as, you know, me as a kid making a drawing and then being like, do you like it? You know, (laughs) (laughs) and that's really sweet, you know. And I'm grateful that I learned early on that all the scariness that is around releasing stuff and and being perceived by the world, the way that I handle that is not to like retreat from it and like make and remake a project until all of a sudden I don't have any more complicated feelings about it, Mm -hmm. to just keep going. Just like put it out.
1: Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for talking to me and hanging out with me in this weird internet space. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: Amelia, how was that chatting with Katie from Una?
2: Yeah, I got the thing that I was
1: hoping for in that I got to hear the intimate details of someone else reacting to watching people react to them.
0: I think you maybe made a friend too. Oh my God,
1: stop. I hope so. I love be Katie. <laughs>
0: Let's jump right into the next conversation. You texted me the other day that you wanted to speak with Bartiz Strange, who's recently released the critically celebrated album Farm to Table. Who is Bartiz Strange and why did you want to speak with him?
1: Bartiz is just making some really incredible genre bending music right now. And he's had an amazing career even before his musical one. He worked in the Obama administration and for nonprofits, all the while making truly spectacular music. Hmm. Then he got signed to 4 AD, and now he's like starting on the path of mainstream music media where he's doing full press cycles. Hmm. He's out on tour with so many amazing acts like Lucy Dacus. There's even a song on Farm to Table that's called Cosigns that's like about him being surrounded by this musical community that he's been a fan of for so long.
4: I'm LA, I'm with Phoebe, I'm a genius man. I'm a I just got. Skin.
1: Yeah. so I wanted to talk to him.
4: Hi, I'm Barty Strange.
1: I've been a fan of you for so long and it's nice to nice to be able to wave IRL.
4: Fam, I love your music. I like love, 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 <laughs> love, love, love your music. Thank you for having me on this. Oh my gosh of course.
1: How are you feeling about your presentation of the record?
4: Well, something that I struggle with, you know, I'm a a black man, right? From the South, Mm -hmm. from Oklahoma, Texas, North Carolina. That's where all my folks are from. So when I'm talking to an audience from Germany about the themes of my record, it's way different than talking to an American or a Canadian audience about the themes of my record because the American black story is so present in Western culture, like um, North American Western culture. But when I'm in Germany, I got to start like from like ground zero, you know, in like what a song is about or what a reference is about. And it's funny my because my record is also reviewed more poorly in Germany and Italy and countries like that because they don't mm. understand the themes that I'm referencing a lot of time. Mm-hmm. which is something that's really challenging for me because it's like, I'm not white. You know, I don't know how to write. You know what I mean? It's like, (laughs) I don't know how to sound like something that would be more familiar to them.
1: Is there a way of like distilling a record into a sentence so that someone can actually understand it?
4: I don't think so. I mean, I do my best, but it's hard. I read a lot of interviews because I'm very interested in how people talk about the records. And I don't think I've hacked it. I mean, I think with my album title, I tried to be, like, as clear about what it is. It's a rags-to-riches story. It started from the bottom. Now I'm here, farm-to-table. You know, it's like, it's a rec it's a record about a transitionary time in my life Mm -hmm. but still you know people are like what's the title got to do with the record i'm like (laughs) 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 this whole thing you know i grew up on a farm and now i literally get to tour with people i've looked up to my whole life and that's crazy and that's the record (laughs) so yeah
1: has there been anything new that you've learned about the record through your fans, through people who have been receiving it? Uh,
4: I have a lot of affirmations. Mm -hmm. You know, things that I had hunches about that have been affirmed through my interactions with people. For example, you know, there's a song on the record called Hennessy. And they say, Black folks drink Hennessy. To me, the song is about stereotypes. And how, I mean, the hook is literally, and they say black folks drink Hennessy, right? But I counter it. But I want you over me in the dark. By saying, but I want you all over me. Mm -hmm. Kind of saying like, I know there's stereotypes, and I know you see me a certain way, but really I, I want love. I want to be appreciated for my art and as a person. So many white people, Asian folks, black folks, queer folks reach out to me about that song and they're like, yes, like this song is like how I feel like I want people to see me for more than just being a woman or someone who's trans or someone who's gay or whatever, you know? And it's like, Mm. and I wrote that song as something like very personal, but it's beautiful to see how other people draw that song to their experiences.
1: Do you feel like they know you in a way that you weren't expecting?
4: I'm always amazed how much people think they know me Mm -hmm. like I'll literally meet someone at an airport who's just like they're talking to me like they've known me my whole life you know Mm. and I'm like is that just because you like the record or is it because of like what's in the record because it's like Farm to Table is like a very personal record about real life stuff and I guess I mean if some if I were to just tell everyone what those songs were about they would feel like they knew me it's a lot of stuff in there so yeah. <laughs> it's funny. I feel like I know certain artists I've never met too. So, that might be <laughs> a parallel.
1: Are there any things that you would like to say about putting out a record before we wave bye to each other?
4: One thing I'll say is like I'm still like very much learning how this world works and so in a year when I think about this, I'll probably think about it differently cuz I'll learn a lot of new shit and That's kind of the most interesting part about putting out records is every time it's very different and you learn a little more and it's all interesting and cool. I'm grateful for it.
1: I'm constantly amazed at how much everybody's bands is like their own art project. Truly. Like it's all just people being like, I'm just going to try it.
4: Yes. You know? Yeah. Big time.
1: It's wild. It really is. Thank you so much for giving us this time and for talking about your new beautiful record with us and the nature of releasing. I really appreciate it.
4: Of course. Yeah, it was my pleasure. Thanks for asking.
0: What did you learn from Bartiz?
1: I learned a lot from talking to him, but I think like the main thing I'm learning is that it's uh, people think it's as weird as I think it is to put records out.
0: <laughs> he does go by Bartiz Strange.
1: Yeah, and and like and that it that it is like a very intense emotional experience that is something that artists don't actually talk about that much because they've spent most of their record talking about all of their other emotional experiences and then you put it out into the world and that creates a whole different reaction.
0: So I'm hearing that there's some validation in these conversations about the bizarre nature of putting yourself out into the world. And I'm intrigued to see what you're going to find next, especially because you're about to speak with two of my all-time favorite musicians right after the break. bum But don't listen to it allergies suck but a good nasal spray makes all the difference i personally learned that i suffer from adult onset allergies and it's a real bummer but a good allergy med makes all the difference for my ability to go out in the springtime to smell magnolia's my favorite flower if you also want relief quickly to get back to breathing in the spring air you can try astapro astapro delivers full prescription strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion runny and itchy nose and sneezing and it starts working in just 30 minutes get fast acting nasal allergy symptom relief with astapro go to astaproallergy.com for a discount that's a-s-t-e-p-r-o allergy.com uses as directed for relief nasal congestion runny nose sneezing and itchy nose due to allergies fox creative
5: this is advertiser content from 26.2 team milk and their new docu series running sucks Watch running sucks at runningsucks.theseries.com and learn more about how Team Milk is helping women runners across the country conquer their next course.
0: All right, Amelia. Where do you want to go next? With these series of conversations.
1: I think we need to talk to Jeff Tweedy.
0: Wow. Jeff Tweedy. Yeah. The sage of songwriting. Right? he has got a great book on it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. He's the lead singer and songwriter of the band Wilco. They've released albums since 1994. It's actually the 20th anniversary of one of my favorite records, Yankee Hotel Foxtrot.
0: Mine too. Love it.
1: They also recently released their 12th studio album, Cruel Country, So like if anyone's gonna know how to talk about releasing records, it's Jeff.
0: Yeah.
6: I love my country stupid and cruel Big,
1: and blue. Cruel Country is so wonderful. It was recorded live and feels like spontaneous and beautiful, which is like new for Wilco.
0: And also connected to kind of how you made a record.
2: Yeah, it is.
1: I want to talk to Jeff because he's put out so many records. And he also has been putting them out since, like, before the internet was a thing. And, like, before, like, all the streamers were a thing. So he, like, Mm he, you know, he's run the gamut of putting records out into all sorts of different climates. Um, Also, I love talking to him.
6: Hi. Is this your show, Amelia?
1: This is like, I'm like doing this in conjunction with Switched On Pop, but it's my idea. (laughs) Okay. When you put out your first record, how did it feel, and did you have a, like, that-thing-you-do moment?
6: Your, your interactions with how your record was going to enter the world back then, well, I think they started with your friends. You come home from the studio with your, with your cassette and getting that immediate insulation of the people that are going to respond to it in the spirit that it was made. Like, hey, my friend made this. This is so cool. This is amazing. What I remember as being the first outside of that insulated little bubble, the first First dispatches from the world at large would be you'd get advanced copies of some reviews. The record label would go, Oh, Rolling Stone's going to review it. Do you want to see it? They sent a Xerox of it. And that would be all you'd have for like weeks, you know, like is like, Well, there's one review that's going to be out at the end of next week or something like that. But there was no immediate, the internet didn't react the way that it does now. It's not immediately, there's a consensus formed by people that have had not had time to form a measured or considered opinion. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That's what happens immediately for modern records. And you can't, I, I, I can't, I can't pay attention to it.
1: With Cruel Country, like, do you feel like you're still introducing yourself to the world?
6: I don't know if I look at it as an introduction. I feel like each song is an effort to make a connection. All you have to do is sing in the choir. I think every song individually is, I want to make a connection with it. And then a record to me is finding the songs that work together the best to kind of enhance each other in a way that's going to allow that, those circuits to be connected and cumulatively give each other a better chance of making that connection. That's what I want to share. And then I'm reminded that everybody is coming at this from way different places in their life. You know, like, I don't I can't intellectualize it in the moment. I just get just not like I'm just like, I need that reassurance or like need good reviews or need uh, people to tell me I'm a genius or anything like that. It's just like, I just want, I just made something and, I, and I, I really feel like a little kid. Like, look at what I made.
1: I always like reach out to people you that I love who put out records, usually like a week after their record. And I'm like, how are you feeling, buddy? Because it's kind of like a breakup feeling in a lot of ways.
6: Yeah. There's a sadness to it. There's enough, you know, uh, it's not yours anymore. It doesn't just belong to you. And that's what we're talking about. The world is projecting onto it, all of its own baggage, its own opinions, its own, mm-hmm. its own potential. Like a record, isn't just a record. The first time you hear it, a record can re- represent, uh, a potential friendship or a potential companion. But yeah, you you don't get to make it anymore. Uh, other people are making it in their consciousness and they, they can't be trusted, Amelia. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, they can. And they're usually wrong. But but also I find the thing that always amazes me is that uh, there are people who have like emotional relationships with my record that I would never be able to create. Like that's the weirdest part is that like there's no matter what, once it's out, I'm always wrong about what the record
6: is. Well, yeah, and that's, that good, that's good and bad because, you know, that then there is there is a creative listener that has an ability to designate some intent that you never could have intended, you know? But at the same time, there is a real impulse. There is an accuracy to the idea that music is so monumental in people's lives. And it can be, just one—I don't know—maybe the greatest consolation that we all, we we get to share with each other. You know, you reach through time and space with technology and and touch somebody's fucking shoulder, man. You know, let's let's real.
1: Thank you so much.
6: Thank you, Amelia. What
0: was that conversation like for you, Amelia?
1: It was so nice to hear him talking about how putting records out hurts his feelings because it hurts my feelings too. I think that might be one of the reasons why I wanted to have all these conversations because I just wanted to make sure that it also hurt other people's feelings, um, or just to see, like, to it's like the sensitivity test or something, just to make sure, like, I'm not the yeah. biggest baby in the world, <laughs> like that. It's like actually a thing that other people feel.
0: Is there like a specialized therapist for musicians that can help? With the process of releasing a record, like, it doesn't seem like this thing which ought to be or externally seems very joyful and a celebration of creation is perversely deeply uncomfortable.
1: Uh, I think you have to apply the everything all the time rule here because because <laughs> like, yes, it is that and also it's the other thing. Um, or maybe, maybe you're right. Like maybe half of the, no, there is a certain joy to releasing something. It's mostly that like what you, in order to get up the like chutzpah to do all the work that you need to do to put out a record, you have to like really project that it's going to be a success. Mm. And because of that, you have like projections of how you want your record to be perceived because like, otherwise. Why on earth would you give it away? But then also there are some artists that like don't even get that choice. Like some people who find virality, like like Maggie Rogers, my dear friend.
0: Yeah.
2: She
1: was met with viral fame when like she was in college and a video of her playing one of her tracks for Pharrell Got passed around the internet.
3: Wow.
2: Wow.
4: I have zero, zero, zero notes for that.
1: And then, like, all of a sudden, every record label wanted to sign her, and so many people knew who she was. And that all happened in, like, a week. And then she had to, like, all of a sudden, she had to put out a record. Or she, yeah. she didn't have to, but she did, and it was a beautiful record called Hurt It in the Past Life and she just put out her second record, Surrender. What I really Yeah. So I wanted to talk to her and talk to her about like the nature of constructing a persona after you've already been perceived (laughs) and like what it's like to be given the chance of success and taking it and making it into something that's yours as opposed to what people think you are. Hi, how are you doing? Good. How are you? I'm good. Yay! Yeah. I was reading this interview or was watching an interview with fiona apple the other day and she was talking about putting out criminal and how like how when she put it out it was her like just being like hello world like here i am and the world was immediately like you are now ours and she was like this is crazy and bullshit and i don't understand any of it
3: i felt very much that way when i entered the scene in 2016 you did yeah There's not a lot of space to grow once people decide what you are. Mm. And I realized I was playing the character of Maggie Rogers rather than making shit I actually fuck with or reflecting a version of my present. Like, I got sort of stuck in this character of being, like, the girl next door that, like, could be your role model. And I was like, ah, that's a part of me, but, like, I— I wasn't talking about what the reality of my life was or, or making music that sounded like the music I listened to or like. Mm-hmm. There was so much that happened on tour and on the road in those like four or five years that I was out where I didn't have time to process and I just had to mm-hmm. swallow it and keep going. And I think at some point you, you swallow something enough and like it's got to come up. It was like I had really bad emotional acid reflux, like, and I would describe it like there was this, like, matted seaweed in my chest. Like, there was some, like, really, sh- sh- shit I needed to get out. And um, the process of making this record was really deeply uncomfortable <laughs> and not super, but but when the songs came,
1: it was really fun mm-hmm. and really quick and easy. Were you making this record to get the seaweed out of your chest?
3: yeah. And I wanted to—it was totally to heal. It felt like I got to do everything but make a record that I love. Mm. And I really like Heard It in a Past Life, but I made it in, like, two weeks. Mm -hmm. And I liked it, and it felt like me at the time, but I didn't walk away from that process being like, Mm. this is great. And with Surrender— The one thing I hadn't gotten to do that I'd always dreamed about doing which is an incredibly like privileged and lucky way to start a sentence I'll just like flag is that I had never gotten to make a record that I really loved Mm
2: -hmm.
3: and that I really like felt myself in and that really felt ambitious and stretched in an artistic way not in a commercial way Mm
2: -hmm.
3: and that's what this record is and that's what it did for me I was in Maine. I had been making music casually for a couple months, and I had written this piano thing, and I was sitting at the computer, and all of a sudden I put a culture vulture mm. on my vocal.
1: You put culture vulture on your voice. Yeah. Will you describe what the sound? What that sound is to you? Culture vulture <laughs> is a distortion technique. It was a texture
3: I had never worked in before because it didn't feel accessible mm. to me as a woman. Why? Because it was a like rough and tough guitar dude thing, and where and when I grew up, that was very much only for men. Mm-hmm. And I had been living in the quiet for so long that. Playing with something really loud and dark, it just felt good. And that's also sort of where the drums came in. Like, I had never had big drums on my songs Mm. before, and I really wanted something that felt physical. That moment was when I was like, oh. We started making Anywhere With You and really hearing that, that Mm -hmm. like different vocal texture. And working on that song was the first time I was like, oh, this is it, like this is something. And I think I was aware in doing that, that in making the thing that I really wanted to make, that it might not be the thing that my audience wanted. Mm. The people who would stay with me would be the people who were really with me in the present and who were really there for the version of myself that was real in the present. And that I could also really potentially lose or mm. really alienate some fans as well. I made that decision really consciously. And I think I'm only just now, I mean, I stand by it. And I fucking love the record I made, but I think I'm only just now figuring out what that actually, like, looks or feels like to move
2: through.
1: It's a beautiful record, Maggie. Thanks. It's crazy, the fact that we're in a situation where we have to be saying, like, this is who I am. We have to, like, we're, like, summarizing ourselves, And then, which, of course, like, impossible.
3: Well, there's no nuance. And the idea that I, like, tell you who I am, and then I... I only get to update that every two to three years, yeah, it feels like outgrowing your clothes,
1: yeah, and you have to constantly be like, here I am it's it's me, you remember who I am from this thing, but also uh here's this this like cool new guy who's who I actually am. <laughs> Sorry, I tricked you before. I had a journalist ask me
3: like I-, I think I was saying something like people think they know me, and like they don't know me, and the journalist was like. Well, if you've read your press and, like, listened to your lyrics, mm. what do people not know?
1: That's an annoying question.
3: I got through the press process, and then I didn't even feel mm. like my life was mine anymore. Like, I wasn't even—it was like my my life had been so highly narrativized for profit that it lost all nuance in order to package it into something that people could easily understand. And that's part of the game, But I don't like the game. (laughs) Yeah, it's a funny thing, putting out music because you don't get to choose your fans, and you don't get to choose like what you're known for. Like, want wants doing really well right now on Mm -mm. radio. It's the first song I've had that's gone on radio. And I keep being like, (laughs) "Oh, not that one. Like, (laughs) where was the fun one? I know. Like, what about my, like, (laughs) emotional thought pieces? Like, what about begging for rain? rain. Not the fun one. Like, I can't be known for the word puzzle. And it's like, it's all...
1: It is all good. It is all good. If, when, you make another record, how do you want to put it out? What would you like the experience to feel like? I don't
3: know if I'm going to make another record. And that's kind of hard to say right now, but, like... I don't know. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And how I put it out is a total Mm -hmm. question mark. Like, a lot of my deals are almost up. Like, I am looking at what the state of the world looks like and how this makes me feel. And I love playing music more than anything. I love being a part of community i love playing music with other people i love writing so much but i'm i'm really thinking about what it means to have a beautiful life and how much of this i need to be public and how much i want to do it for me and like where my ambition lies and i'm having real real conversations with myself about what i want and there's it's actually really exciting because i have for the first time in my life, I have no idea. And I've known what I've wanted since I was like three years old. And I don't know the answer right now. And that's, uh,
1: that's cool. I'm sorry I asked you that question. I hate it whenever anyone asks me that. It's the worst. <laughs> um, but, but, you know what? Uh huh. Yesterday, I put some songs in a
3: Dropbox and labeled it MR3. Hey, well, there you go. Like, it's not like I, I'm i not, like, because I'm like, what else do I do? As I'm sitting here being like, I might never make another record. Like, it's great. Do
1: it. You might not. I'm just being dramatic. <laughs> I love it, though. Okay, we've done it. We're at the end.
0: Yeah, we're at the end.
1: I don't know, Charlie. What did you learn?
0: I learned that the trappings of success—they don't break through the most fundamental human feelings—and so behind releasing any work that's like, "Hey, I got it. I—I I feel super confident. This work is awesome." is always that like, "Is it good? I hope everyone really likes it." Like, there's a lot of anxiety, a lot of wanting to be loved in the process of releasing a record that we don't always see, and for me, it makes me want to give everybody a hug who's putting out music and also suspend judgment for a minute and really sit with the work because I know that it was important to that person.
1: That's the thing. Everyone feels the same. Like when you put out a record, the thing that you're doing is revealing your innermost thoughts and feelings. And it and that is incredibly vulnerable and strange, even if you are successful.
0: It reminds me when Adam and Eve were in the garden, they were nude. They were happy and safely, just in the buff. But when they were exiled, they became naked and there was shame associated with having been exposed to the world. I feel like putting out a record is getting naked in public and really hoping, though, that you have the internal wherewithal, your own garden to be able to go into, to be safely nude and totally yourself and completely comfortable.
1: That is so right. Being naked, but being perceived as nude.
0: (laughs) This has been fun. Uh, So do you want to join the team as a producer?
1: Yes, please.
0: No, really. Come back and please produce some other stories with us.
1: I would love that. Oh, my gosh.
0: This episode of Switched on Pop was produced by Amelia Meath. Thank you, Amelia. Thank you. It was also produced by Rihanna Cruz, engineered by Brandon McFarlane edited by Jolie Myers, some great illustrations of every artist Amelia spoke with this week by Iris Gottlieb, community management by Abby Barr, our executive producers are Hannah Rosen and Ashok Karwa, we're a member of the Vox Media Podcast Network, and a production of Vulture. Every piece of scoring you heard on this episode comes from Sylvan Esso's record No Rules Sandy and was used by permission from Sylvan Esso, Loma Vista, and Psychic Hotline. Amelia, I'm assuming, like podcasts, you can find it wherever you get your podcasts. Can I find your record anywhere you get records?
1: Indeed, anywhere.
0: And what about Sylvanesso and you? Where can we find you?
1: You can find Sylvanesso at sylvanesso.com and at Sylvanesso on all of the places. And with me, you can find me at A. Randall M.
0: And Switched On Pop is at Switched On Pop on all the platforms as well. Come back next week as we're going to deep dive into a very unexpected number one hit, Steve Lacey's Bad Habits. And until then, Thanks, Thanks for listening.
1: listening,
0: guys. One final shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. You know what's a terrible question? What's your favorite part of having nasal allergies? I don't know. Absolutely nothing. Luckily, you might be able to find some relief with Astapro. Astapro delivers full prescription strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose and sneezing. And It starts working in just 30 minutes. Get fast acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to Astaproallergy.com for a discount. That's Astaproallergy.com. Use this directive for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing and itchy nose due to allergies.